The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Hey, thanks, Jordan. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but it was June 17th. It was 2018. And that was the date of the Pride Festival in Hamilton at Gage Park when people from the LGBTQ plus community gather to sing and dance and cheer and hang out and celebrate their belief that they have a right to be accepted and and loved. Also at the park was another group. It was the protesters who came and they brought protest signs and a megaphone. And the protesters were there to express their belief that the gay lifestyle is sin and that these folks needed to repent and and, and come to Jesus. There was a third group that was at the park that day. They were, some of them were wearing pink hats. They would identify as anarchists. They, they were, they're not part of the queer community necessarily, but they were there and they brought a large black curtain to sort of separate the protesters from the festival. And eventually things kind of got violent. They got quite out of hand. You might've heard of Helmet Guy. Helmet Guy came from Kitchener, from what I understand, Kitchener, and he showed up in hockey pads and a helmet and uh, he's a person who identifies as a Christian, and he went around bashing some of the people in pink hats with his helmet, and he was convicted uh, of that of assault recently for that. But there was a fourth group who was involved in the Pride Festival that day and what, what went down. It was the police, and they stayed away from the Pride Festival because, as Chief Eric Gert of the police force says, we were not invited to the event. And there was a fifth group who were related to the, the Pride Festival that day, and that's the politicians, the local politicians like Matthew Green, who was the Ward 3 councillor at the time. What he said is that the trouble came from, quote, far-right evangelicals who were there just to sucker punch people. So his view is that the, ev- the evangelicals are people who show up at the Pride Festival in order to sucker punch people. And this happened just, you know, many of you know where Heather and I live. This is just down the street from our home. And in fact, while this was happening, I was resting. I remember that I was resting because I was exhausted because as a church, we had just sort of voted to approve our bylaw. I don't know if you remember that, but but that's what what uh, that's what was going on. So, and it's kind of like, you know, you might wonder where where should we have been? Um, should I have been there or, or would that have been wrong? Would that have been a sin for me to be present at the Pride Festival? So let's talk about that. Now today we are wrapping up our series in Hamilton as it is in heaven. And, and, and I have really loved talking about these various issues that challenge our Hamilton neighbor and ways that we as a church can respond to these things. I think that this is a series of talks we'll probably need to come back to from time to time. But today we are talking about hate in Hamilton. And, and I don't know if you know this or not, but when the conversation around hate and intolerance uh, or the language of affirming, when we get into these kinds of conversations, they can be really sort of polarizing. And so it seems like anything that we do or say will be offensive to somebody. It's almost like maybe that's just the deal, you know, like maybe that's just how it's going to be. And so, but, but today what I want to ask is, where is our place? in this situation and in, in, in where is our place? Some disclaimers I think are important to offer just as we get this going. I think there's a few things that conservatives need to hear. You know, conservatives are known for being pretty vocal about sexual sins and quite quiet about other kinds of sins. And in some ways being affirming of, for example, gay marriage, that has become in lots of conservative circles, a test of orthodoxy. 
Like if you don't speak out against it, you probably, you must have a low view of scripture and you have a low view of sin. And it's, it's like if church A is full of like worldly, you know, greedy, lazy gossips and liars and maybe Netflix addicts and church B over here is attended by uh, some gays and lesbians and bi or trans folks, I would want to say it's not like one of those is a church and one of those isn't, or one of those is a healthy church and the other isn't. They both need Jesus. And so conservatives need to hear a few things. Like I would say first that it'd be a mistake to say yes to someone to whom the Lord is saying no. But it's also a mistake and a sin to say no to someone to whom the Lord is saying yes. I would also want to say that my job as a pastor is to believe and to teach what scripture says, right? And not not less than that, but also not more. And I would also want to say that scripture is God-breathed. It is scripture that's God-breathed, but my applications of it aren't. And so honest Christians who love Jesus are going to sometimes disagree with each other. Some will disagree with me about our conclusions based on scripture. And at the end of today's message, if you come away and if you think I'm a liberal, that's fine. And I'm not going to try to change your mind. But you don't get to say that you believe scripture and I don't. All right. So that's a disclaimer for conservatives. And here's here's some disclaimers for liberals. I think that sometimes in the conversation about hate and tolerance, Christians can sound like God is really old-fashioned and mean and the Bible needs to be updated. And I would want you to know, if that's your view, like you can't outlove God. You will never outlove God. And we are not free to hate anybody that God loves, but we are also not free to love anything that God hates. Okay, let me say that again. We're not free to hate anyone that God loves, but we are also not free to love anything that God hates. And so I agree with Rosaria Butterfield, who observes that Jesus met sinners at the table, but he didn't join them in their choice sins. He sat with them, but he didn't sin with them. And so I would want to say, like, it is a profound mistake to try and change the historic teachings of the church in order to say that certain things aren't sins after all. I think it's not just a mistake, but I think it's actually a failure to believe the gospel. Because the good news is not that you and I are welcome at the table of the Lord because it turns out that the things that we used to think are sins aren't sins after all. That's not the good news. That's not why we're welcome at the table. The good news is that the reason that we are welcome at God's table is because our sin is being dealt with by Jesus. And that's a very different view. And so I don't have a low view of sin. I think I have a high view of Jesus. And so again, at the end of this message, if you think that I am a narrow-minded fundamentalist, then that's fine. I'm not going to try to change your mind. But you don't get to say that your view is kind and loving and Christ-like and mine is not. And I want to offer a disclaimer about hate. Okay, about hate. Because not everything that's offensive is actually hate speech. On this, I actually agree with Jordan B. Peterson, who says that in order for us to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. Now, in the the literature around hate, we're actually not sure what hate is yet. Because it turns out, like, you know, we just, we, we need to understand not every ignorant or offensive idea is necessarily racist or anti-Semitic or homophobic. Okay, so it's, so it's not always hate speech. 
But the, in the Criminal Code of Canada, it does talk about hate speech. It says it's forbidden to publicly incite or promote hate, but it doesn't offer a clear definition of what hate is. And so they, the, in the Criminal Code of Canada, they've left it up to local police forces to actually define what hate means. And so I, I, read the police, I read the definitions from a whole bunch of different police forces across, or police services across Canada. I actually found, this is a total coincidence, but the best one that I found was the Hamilton Police, police Service, who said that a hate crime is any criminal offense committed against a person or property which is motivated by hate, bias, or prejudice. Hate crimes are committed to intimidate, harm, or terrify not only a person, but an entire group of people to which the victim belongs. And I just think that is so helpful because it specifies what the purpose is. It helps us to figure out what hate is because you know it by its, its intention or its purpose, which is to intimidate, harm, or to terrify. So, so that's very helpful. Okay, A hate crime has happened where the goal was to intimidate or to harm or to terrify somebody because of hate and bias or prejudice. And that, again, that's something that I, can, that I can get behind. So let's talk about Hamilton's hate problem, what the situation is here, okay? So what does it mean when we say that Hamilton has a hate crime problem? It means that adjusted for population, Hamilton has the highest rate of hate crimes in Canada, more than Vancouver and Montreal and Toronto. And so going back to 2018, which is the same year of the brawl at the Pride Festival at Gage Park, Hamilton Police Services dealt with 125 separate incidents that were reported as hate crimes. That was actually down from the year before, 2017. In Hamilton, the most targeted visible minority are, are black people. The most targeted religious group are Jews. And so when somebody spray paints a swastika in a Jewish neighborhood, that's an example of a hate crime. When somebody yells the N-word as they're driving by a person of color, that's a hate crime. And, and hate crimes are also sometimes based on sexual orientation or disability or gender. And it's right to ask, who's doing all of this? Like, who, who's responsible? Who are the haters based on the definition that we have from Hamilton Police Services? And, and on one hand, I would want to identify some of the in individuals who might belong to, say, like Antifa and the anarchists, even though they're not usually associated with hate speech. They're sometimes thought to be the champions of opposing hate crimes. But you, you might remember, actually, back a few years ago, in March 2018, when a group marched on Lock Street, and they smashed a bunch of storefronts and car windows. And why did they do that? In order to send a message to wealthy gentrifiers and business owners to communicate to them, you are bad, you are misfits, we don't want you here. You don't belong. And in here, I would just, I think it's important to recognize it's not like the right have the monopoly on hate, okay? But yeah, there is a lot of hate to go around on the right as well. Because, so who are the haters on the right? I think that it is individuals that you would find within communities like the Yellow Vesters, the Proud Boys, the Soldiers of Odin, the Northern Guard. These folks tend to be angry white men often lacking education, not always, but very active on social media. They are often anti-gay, anti-Muslim, anti-immigration, pro-white, and they are quasi-Christian. And from their point of view, uh, Canada was, a, was once a Christian nation. It's now under attack. And these, these guys are the ones who feel responsible to save it. 
And so on any given Saturday morning, you might drive by City Hall and see folks dressed there in yellow vests who will say things like, and I quote, we want to see Canada free and great again the way it used to be. Jesus is the Lord over Canada. So just so you know, some of the pride uh, protesters, they belong to these groups. And here are the signs that some of them brought to the party. One one said, liberal commies and homo fascists are destroying Canada and our children. Another one said, if you humble yourself, God can forgive you. Another one said, the wicked shall be cast into hell and all nations that forget God. And another one said, are you sick of sin? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, repent and follow Jesus. And we could go on because there's other lots of other examples. But Are you noticing a pattern here in the signs that these guys brought to the party? So the point here is there, yes, there is hate on both sides for sure, but here's where we are, okay? When when Hamiltonians think of hate, what tends to come to mind are those who, right or wrong, identify as Christians. And the message that's coming through is that biblical Christianity is what happens when we identify a group of misfits and we protest their behavior, and we blame them for what's wrong in in our country, and we scare them with threats of hell, and then if they agree to change their behavior, then they are welcome to join us. And I'm like, really? That's what biblical Christianity teaches, really? And, and so, but if that's the image, if that's the if that's the message that's coming, that's go getting through, I am not surprised. When it seems like a choice between these folks and those who say, well, let's just stop talking about sin and be more loving. And as we go to scripture now, I just want, I think it's really important that we learn from Philip in the book of Acts that this is a false choice between those two choices. There is actually a a third way and a better way between those two. So let's look at Acts chapter 8, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, which Jordan read for us earlier. So I'm going to begin in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. We're just setting it up. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up, go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert road. And so Philip got up and he went and there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. So let's pause there, and I'm just going to offer some some things that are important for us to appreciate, or some things that are important for us to know in order for us to appreciate what the story really means. One thing we need to understand is that eunuchs were detestable. They are detestable. You need to know that in the ancient world, a eunuch is somebody who has had his parts cut off in order that he will serve the queen and please her, okay, you know what I'm saying, and, and not seek any pleasure for himself. He is basically a, her boy toy. And he was so good at his job, he was so reliable in his job, that she put him in charge of her finances. So you need to know, this guy has done things you can't imagine, and you wouldn't want to imagine. And so the religious people around look at eunuchs as detestable. Okay? They're detestable. There is no, there's no, in many ways, there is no repenting from being a eunuch. You can't just put it back on, okay? And, and so that's why the ancient historian Josephus, he said, let those that have made themselves eunuchs be held in detestation. 
and you avoid any conversation with them who've deprived themselves of their manhood. Let such be driven away as if they had killed their children. That's how Josephus wanted the religious folks to treat eunuchs. They are detestable. We also need to see that they are forbidden. They are actually forbidden. Now, it's interesting because in the story, we read that, I'm going to pick up at the second half of verse 27. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on the way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. So he had come to Jerusalem in order to worship. So he had heard some things about God. He was had, had some kind of faith in this God of the Israelites. But as a black Gentile, he's actually not allowed to get any closer than the court of the Gentiles. And that would be far enough. But it, as it turns out, Scripture says he's forbidden altogether. Back in Deuteronomy 23, I'm going to do a bit of censoring here, but uh, no man who's have been crushed or who's has been cut off may enter the Lord's assembly. All right? It's forbidden. So as a eunuch, you got to understand that it is a sin for this guy to be there. It's wrong. He doesn't belong. And if you're Philip on the road, you are wrestling with the fact that the Holy Spirit has now sent you and called you to go and sit with someone that you're not allowed to associate with. You're not even allowed to bring this guy to church with you. Okay? It is forbidden. And yet, Philip went to him anyway. Philip went to him anyway. So this Ethiopian eunuch invites him to join him in the chariot. And uh, verse 30, I'll pick it up in verse 30. Philip ran to it. He heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And they get into this amazing conversation because the eunuch has been reading the book of Isaiah. And he's come across this passage where he was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb is silent before its shearer. So he, whoever this person is, didn't open his mouth. And the eunuch in verse 34 says to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Is it about the himself, the prophet, or someone else? And verse 35, Philip proceeded to tell the eunuch the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. And so they have this amazing conversation. And at the end of it, the eunuch begins to believe in Jesus. As they were traveling down the road, they came to water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What should keep me from being baptized? He asks this really beautiful question. What should keep me from being baptized? Now, I want you to pause there and think for a second. What should forbid? What should keep this guy from being baptized? Like, is that a serious question? Because I bet you could think of a few things. You know what I'm saying? If we took a few minutes, we could think of a few things that should keep this guy from being baptized. And yet he does. God told Philip to do it. He baptizes him because it is important and and necessary and appropriate. And it almost looks like God is breaking his own command. You know, it almost looks like the scriptures and the spirit himself conspire to welcome this person who shouldn't actually be welcome, but now he is. And that's why we have this story. Now, suppose Philip didn't do it. Suppose Philip said, sorry, dude, like I, I can't come and be with you in this chariot. I, you know, scripture is quite clear about eunuchs and, uh, and it's basically an abomination. If he had done that, he could tell himself, he could walk away and sort of self-righteously said, say, I've been obedient, except in another way, 
He's being obedient to a covenant that is no longer in force. Because it's the Spirit who says that it's faith in Jesus. It's not our rule-keeping that makes us acceptable to God. It's the Spirit who arranged this appointment in the chariot. It's the Spirit who sent Philip to him. It's the Spirit who spoke through the preached gospel. It's the Spirit who now says, eunuchs, come on in and come and let's talk about Jesus and I'm going to change you and I'm going to welcome you and bring you in and give you a seat at the table along with all the rest of these misfits. And what that means is that we are the chariot and not the temple. You and I, we are not the temple. We are the chariot. You know, as a result of this story, nobody who is, is excluded from the temple is out of the, outside the reach of the gospel. Because you got to understand, Philip had to make a choice here. Am I going to exclude this person because he doesn't keep a covenant that isn't even in force anymore? That's the decision he had to wrestle with. And, and just so you know, Philip isn't pro-castration, okay? He's, he, uh, Philip knows that baptizing this guy is, is complex, right? Baptizing this guy doesn't mean that Philip endorses everything that the eunuch stands for. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that he endorses everything that, this, that the eunuch had done with the queen, but what it means is that this messy, complicated work of loving and including misfits is that's our work to do and it's not their work to do. And that's why I think, especially in a city, a church isn't a temple. The church is the chariot. And so our job is to be safe enough for people to invite in. Our job is to meet people on the road and to talk about the gospel together. And as we do, lives are changed. Sometimes it's theirs and sometimes it's ours and sometimes it's both. Sometimes a eunuch can become a Christian and become an apostle to, to Africa. And sometimes, sometimes a deacon in the early church can learn that eunuchs are not dangerous and that there's no reason not to baptize them. Now, listen, I, I know that this isn't the only passage in scripture, but it counts, okay? counts. Now, is, is, the question is, like, is Philip's example a good one? Like, is it a good one for us as individuals? And is it a good one for us as a church? Could we be a Philippian church? You know, could we be a church that is close enough to those who expect to be excluded and, and hated? Could we be a church that is close enough to be trusted with questions about Jesus? Because in this story, God is doing something new and surprising. It looks like God is fulfilling something that he had said hundreds of years before in Isaiah. Isaiah 56, which says, The eunuch shouldn't say, look, I'm a dried up vine. For the Lord says this, The eunuchs, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. That's beautiful. And so I'm not surprised that at the end of this story, the, the eunuch went on his way rejoicing in verse 39. Because God is doing something new and surprising and beautiful, but he didn't do it without a Philip. Now, one more thing that needs to be said before we go on, I think it's fair to say that Philip knows a bit about biology. You know what I'm saying? Like, by baptizing this eunuch, this guy doesn't cease to be a eunuch. Like, nobody's saying that this is simple. This guy brings baggage into his relationship with Jesus. But it's like, whose issue is that? Is that Philip's issue? No, of course not. This eunuch is going to go home to Ethiopia where there are no Christians, there are no churches, 
There is no one there to teach him the way of Jesus, and the people there only know him as the eunuch. So think about that. This guy's, this guy's lived experience from here on is going to be, how do I live in this body, in, in, in my context, with my story, now that my identity has changed and my main identity is Christian and not eunuch? How does that work? And, and like, the thing is, that's his cross to carry. It's not Philip's. So that's his cross to carry. Philip has a cross too. And so do you, and so do I. We all have we all have a cross. And Jesus says that to be his disciple, we're going to take up our cross daily and what? We're going to never drop it? No. Are we going to we're going to carry someone else's cross for them too? No. Are we going to stay put and and like just criticize the rest of us as they walk by carrying their crosses? No. Jesus says, if anyone will follow after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to imitate him. It's not whether we look like fundamentalists or liberals. It's that we look like Jesus. And so I have this vision. Okay. I have this vision for us where I'm, I'm carrying my cross and you're carrying yours. And maybe it's a sin issue or maybe it's a health issue, or maybe it's a, a hard or bad relationship. Maybe it's a mental health issue. Maybe you're same-sex attracted, or maybe you have a hate problem. And so you think that everybody else is the misfits, but somehow you belong. Like I can imagine all the things, okay? Uh, there are lots of crosses. And, and in my vision, we are all learning how to carry these things. And we're making space around for each other so that we don't crash into one another. And, and maybe I drop mine from time to time. I might drop it. And you might drop yours, don't you? And it's like, what do you do? Well, you pick it up and you keep going. But we don't tell each other, all right, you got to go back to the back of the line because you dropped yours. No, here it is. We don't finish. We follow. Okay, we follow. The good news for misfits of all kinds is that it's not our cross carrying that saves us. It's his. It's his. And so listen, carrying my cross, that's hard enough. I don't need you to make it harder for me. And you don't need me to make it harder for you. You don't need me making your cross or your road any tougher than it already is. And neither does Hamilton. All right. And so in a community, though, in a faith community that is unified around this vision of each of us carrying our own crosses, we actually never need to choose between loving people on one side or loving God on the other. Philip didn't have to choose between those and neither do we. And so the last question, how do we answer hate in Hamilton? I think that in the same way that Philip's ministry here was surprising and kind of subversive, I think that ours should be too. Let me give you an example. I came across one pride festival where a group of Christians had shown up with this banner that says, I'm sorry, we're here to apologize for the ways that we as Christians have harmed the LGBT community. Okay, I don't know if you've seen this sign before. This seems to me as an, like an example of a, of a fairly Jesus-like first step. It's not everything, but it's a first step. And, and, and maybe your sign that you might make wouldn't say exactly the same thing as theirs, and that, that's fine. But there's something a little subversive and cool about this, you know? It sort of takes the whole protest sign thing and turns it on its head. 
Because I don't know if you know this or not, but protest signs have become a bit of a phenomenon and we communicate a lot through protest signs. Like, like here's one, here's another one. Racism sucks more than the Cats movie. Here's another one. <laughs> These guys are wangs. Here's another one with protest sign, protest cosign. Here's another one so bad, even, pro, even introverts are here. And this guy said, not usually a sign guy, but geez. Again, maybe your signs wouldn't say the very same thing. But if you are a sign person, let me give you some examples. Here's one, in Hamilton as it is in heaven. Jesus, too conservative for liberals, too liberal for conservatives. Here's another one. Jesus loves you. I love Jesus. How can I help? Or here's another one. Who would Jesus protest? Here's another one that I think maybe some people need to hear. So you don't care what God thinks of what you're doing here, but it's your boss you're hiding your faces from. Or this one. Putting the fun back in fundamentalist. Here's one, stop, you had me at burn in hell. Here's one, seriously, isn't there anything in your own city to protest? You might like this one. You guys, it's a really big park. Or did anybody ever get saved by a protest sign? Here's another one somebody might put up saying, while y'all are here, could you please ask God to save LRT? Uh, and this is the last one. Just putting this out there. You guys, you'd look so much cuter if you would smile more. Now, maybe your thing isn't signs, and that's fine. Maybe being at the protest isn't your, your thing, but you're gonna be somewhere, okay? Next time this goes down, you're gonna be somewhere. And as I close, I just want you to imagine going back to the Pride Festival in 2018, and, and, and you're Philip, okay? So where would you be? Where are you gonna be? Because some Christians are showing up there with signs calling out liberal commies and homo-fascists. Some Christians, though, might show up and say they, they want to march with the Pride Festival, folks. Some, some folks are going to show up and hold up a black curtain to separate the protesters from the festival goers. You know, some, some people are going to do that, maybe Christians. But some people, maybe Christians, are going to challenge the protesters. Some people are going to take a helmet in the face from Helmet Guy. Some people are going to be at home praying for the whole thing. And some people are going to show up at the park maybe with first aid kits ready to help anybody who gets injured. And, and some people, though, there's another group that's going to show up and they're going to bring handcuffs and pepper spray and rubber bullets. And they're going to bring some people to jail that day. And there's another group of people that are going to debrief it later in meetings. And there's some people that are going to read about the whole thing on Facebook. And I don't know where you think you should be in a situation like that, but I know that last time I was at home resting because I was worn out from us having passed our church bylaw. And, and you know, important as a church bylaw is, next time that is not where I intend to be. And I just think if a few of us can figure out where we need to be in a situation like that, if a few of us can figure that out, then it is going to be a little more in Hamilton as it is in heaven. Thank you for listening.